Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Why do random and rights always take place entirely in a personal play space? Well, not all of them do. Today, we're exploring the decision space of Get On Board New York and London, a flip and write style game with a shared play space. Imagine that. We'll talk about the publishing decisions made, variety, scoring objectives, waning decision spaces, and agency as we explore this neat game from the Japanese designer, Sashi. Nice. Jake, are you ready to get on board? Choo-choo. No, I guess that's a train thing, and we're doing buses today. What do buses do? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bus or goose? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I want to hear, Jake. Let's just get right into ratings and reviews. I think that's going to color or frame a lot of the conversation, and I'm really curious to hear your thoughts, because we've been playing this game, I don't know, what have we played? Maybe 10 times, you and I together? Yeah, something like that. Okay. And I, I'm just... I have. No idea where your head's at. So okay. I want to hear. Yeah, well, my head is where it is often at when I play a new game. Um, and that is to give it a 7 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much the sweet spot for me. But in all seriousness, I really enjoyed this game. Uh, all, all my plays of it were fun. I mean, it, the game doesn't really fight you at all. You're able to just really quickly learn and get into playing and have a good time right off the bat, which is something that's really important to me and and a lot of people, I think, today when you're picking out a new game amongst so many different options. The the things that keep me from giving it a higher rating than that is just I have uh, some serious questions about the depth in this game. I think that it is a game that can feel very samey from play to play. So while that doesn't impact those first fun initial plays, I just don't know how much this game has legs. And I felt that way before. And then I found out through more plays that, you know, there are more things to be unlocked. So I'm not saying that's impossible, but I just am not sure sitting here now, if I'll have as much fun going from play 10 to play 20 as I did going from play one to play 10. So I'll leave it there for now and throw it over to you for your thoughts. Awesome. I I really want to respond, but I'm going to read my little thing first. When I first played Get On Board, I was taken with a ride. The board overwhelmed me with options. The input randomness and pain management around ignoring turns and heading straight for traffic felt interesting and fun. And it's not that I don't enjoy Get On Board. I do. But after around 20 plays, I feel like I've experienced about everything it feels like there is to see in the game. And while I love the idea of a shared play space roll and write, the interaction in Get On Board feels incidental rather than intentional, which hurts its ability for it to impact the game's decisions in an exciting way. So at the end of the day, for me, Get On Board is a game I loved experiencing, but not one I can see returning to for 50 or 75 plays, like I kind of hoped it would be when I first set out to play it. So I am at a 7 out of 10. As well. Oh, it's, it's so we're fun. It's the decision space special. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that this game, you know, neither of us are so excited to talk about or so excited about the game itself. But I, I think am we're excited both to talk really excited it. to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think definitely. it's going to make for an awesome conversation. And I think like this game could be just one of the best like gateway games. Mm. Gateway games in the context of playing with friends or family that have like literally only played Monopoly and, Mm. you know, Risk and 
Yahtzee or whatever, I think that this game could fit perfectly there with with folks like that and be a big hit. You know, for something you know very similar to Ticket to Ride, um, mm. kind of space, but very different than that. And that this would be just like so much faster playing. Um, I think you know even possibly less rules overhead easier to get up and going than a ticket to ride so i think like it can sort of stand and and compete well in that space and i think for that reason like i really expect this to be a game that does like well commercially in the hobby it's definitely a beautiful production too this specific version so i think maybe now is the most natural time to get into the game history and background it kind okay. of pivots to like, so Jake and I are covering Get On Board, which is a specific version of this game uh, that was once called Let's Make a Bus Route, um, both designed by Sashi, who's this Japanese designer. But Get On Board is specifically a 2022 publication from Yellow, who's taking this past version of this game and making some changes. So in Let's Make a Bus Route, which came out in 2018, it was a true flip and write game there is still a shared board but everyone is drawing on that board with dry erase markers in a shared space in the version that jake and i are covering on the show uh the markers and the shared board have been replaced with a shared board with pieces that you lay out which doesn't really change the game's decisions but it does change how the game feels a little bit not yeah. so much in a virtual space which is where jake and i have played it on board game arena but there's something about looking at the game and the weight that it evokes to me that feels different here in the yellow version. Yeah. And, and do you think it feels like like weightier? Like, what do you mean by that? I could see, for instance, like, okay, we have this board. So it's something that like is asking players for like more like attention. Like this is the game we're playing this evening type of thing than if you're just flipping through papers. I think, yeah, exactly. I think when I see, and maybe this isn't fair, right? But when I see a roll and write game that just comes with paper and pens, um, and even if there's a shared board, but it's just pens, it evokes something lighter to me than a shared board where I'm going to hand you these route pieces and a bus piece. I think you might have a bus, maybe you don't, um, in the printed version, but it evokes something slightly different. It, it's like promising something slightly heavier just because of the the publication footprint. Um, totally. And maybe that's not fair and maybe it is, but that's sort of where I was coming at the game from. Yeah. Yeah. I think the game just presentation wise is really attractive. Um, yeah. I think there's a, a big opportunity cost, however, with being on a board because now you just have one board that's dual sided, right? So uh, I think the London side of the map is that the four or five three yeah yeah it's the bigger version yeah yep. so that's like the so you play that with four or five and if you have two or three players then you play the new york side of the board um so that's great right but you only have two sides of the board and to one of my potential concerns with this game as i mentioned is just like replayability like how much variance you get from game to game um and i you know, if, if you have pieces of paper, it's just easier to like, okay, I want to get a new map pack going or something, mm, or I want to sure. like somebody maybe even could like create them online. And I think that the different boards is something that really goes a long way to adding that intrigue play after play. Um, so I think it's limiting on a board. Having said that, I think it's a lot more appealing for, uh, I think it makes the game much lighter in practice than writing on a piece of paper um, just because I think that makes things get a little bit cluttered. Um, 
which might be the reason that we don't see a ton of shared play space role and rights in general. It's just like things can get a little messy and sloppy. So I think I'd much prefer teaching new players. And it also just feels more like a board game, you know, like, hey, I wanted to show you, introduce you to the wide world of hobby board games. I'd much rather do that with a board game than, you know, a flip and write game in a more traditional sense. Yeah. And I think there might be room in this conversation a little bit later on too, for us to sort of delve into this idea of more of like, this isn't technically a flip and write game. It's like a flip and place game. But why does this feel so much like a flip and write game to us beyond just the fact that it used to be one, the way it was printed, published in its first iteration? There's like reasons why the decision space feels like other flip and write games. Maybe Jake might be. Well, you are me. you are writing still like you're still literally flipping and writing. You're just sure, also in your own personal yeah. board. You mean? Yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, that's true. OK, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into <laughs> okay. it. For now, let's talk uh, more about the designer. OK, that sounds that good. Okay? Okay. Yeah, of course. So I did some research because I was aware of the designer Sashi. I knew of Let's Make a Bus Route, but I hadn't put together the connection between another really popular game of this designer's, which is Coffee Roaster. I think that Coffee Roaster, which came out in 2015, was this designer Sashi's like first sort of breakout international hit. And it became this sort of like import uh gem where people would sort of say like if you're going to japan what's one game you should bring back people would always say like oh you have to grab a copy of coffee roaster and i think sashi's designs um sort of have this like hipster import darling reputation in the western board game community i think there's a couple reasons for that i think one a lot of people in the western world i guess for lack of a better term like me and you kind of grew up on like Japanese like animation and stuff. So it's just like a sense of like, oh, cool, this is coming from Japan. So I'm like intrigued by that. And just to like spot the differences mm. uh, in sort of like what board games look like over there versus here. And I yeah. think that Saucy Designs lean into that, you know, I don't be by like picking these. I think the things that stand out to me when I look at Saucy's like design pedigree are like the thematic integration of these games and there are at least a couple instances where he's picked themes to build a game around that i think like is very far from where western game designers are are typically orienting their game they're really quaint you know speaking obviously in broad incredibly broad strokes sure let's talk about so let's talk about some of the games so some of the his sashi's most known well well well-known titles coffee roaster in 2015 a game called wine the film in 2016 which is about uh film strips and like moving pieces of film around i think it's also about taking photos um, is that one getting that one just recently get re-implemented i feel like that was like a hot game at like sn this it year maybe got a like new that. version yeah okay. um that's make a bus route which we just talked about 2018 that's the the foundation of what becomes on board um remember our trip 2019 which is a, a game about making memories on a vacation i believe yeah, and so then, it's like it's like a group of friends like sitting around and they're recalling their trip. Trip, and yeah. So thematically, it's like somebody's like, "Oh, I remember it happened like this." And it's like, "Oh yeah, I remember that," but you're misremembering. Like we did this first, and I think it's like sort of like a cooperative, competitive game yeah. or something where you're yeah, like yeah. trying to like build consensus around this trip. Like, I mean, that what an interesting and cool theme to build totally. a game around, right? And this next one is such a specific feeling that everyone has sort of had that I love seeing captured in a board game. And the name is just going to evoke it. That's 
before the guests arrive that came that's a game that came out in 2022 this year so i love that that game title it's just like so evocative of like preparation of anticipation maybe excitement maybe nervousness it's like all of those feelings get tied up it's yeah, totally. Um, there, there's one more game I don't think you've listed that I've always sort of thought of like this sort of quintessential like uh, theme, which is in front of the elevators, a game about trying to get your entire family like into line and get onto the next elevator. You know, just like those small, I, I absolutely like uh, adore these themes because I think like gamifying these small moments in life are, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm at a loss for like the word for it, but I think that like when I sat down, I was like, I need to like come up with a game idea. Um, that's sometimes like the some of the first places like my headspace goes. Like, what are like the times in my day to day life where they're like they're like games are happening, but not necessarily like perceived as games. Um, and I feel like Sashi is the designer that is lifting up these moments and turning them into games. And I think like, to me, that's just really interesting and cool. Yeah. There's exciting and notable moments in the little places in our life, not just in the rise and fall of civilization for sure. Yeah. Okay. Really quickly too. Oh, sorry, Jake. I was just gonna say like, unfortunately of all of those, like let's make a bus route or get on board. The game we're covering today is like the most like, like the theme is, yeah so typical you know it's like yeah. a pick up and deliver type of game where you're like drawing a route on a map you know like there isn't much there that makes that interesting or unique but i think like some of the design personality and pedigree comes through in this yellow production which just makes it look so delightful and i think the art is very different than the original uh version the original version is a sashi and sashi game that's the name of sashi's uh publishing company and i have a little quote from him in 2015 so i established sashi and sashi in 2015 with my wife and illustrator to takarai takako uh, and i've been working full-time since 2016 for Sashi and Sashi. My motto is to create new appealing games that are born from strong connection between mechanics and theme. And I think you see that here. And I just wanted to be sure to highlight uh, Takarai, his wife being the illustrator too, because that's so much of what I think makes those games attractive and notable. And that sort of unique style is of her and then of their family, Sashi and Sashi. Um, so it's cool. And then here in Get On Board, we don't have this art style at all. It's like a 1950s cartoon style art. Uh, which is it, it works for me i think it's really cute but it's very different than the original it is different but when i look at some of these other games and the illustration like i feel like they are in the same space like yeah. totally different styles like, evoking to me the same kind of like warm and like almost like and i don't mean this in a bad way but almost like frivolous like mm. uh concept so like i'm looking like at like slice the, of life yeah, like in front of the elevator box is just like a group of people standing in front of an elevator. <laughs> it's like a cute yeah. cartoony thing. And I I don't know, I feel like the get on board production, it's when you look at the box, it's it just has a similar feel. It's just like a group of people hanging out, yeah, getting onto a onto a bus. Totally. Okay, so hopefully <laughs> no, you said it perfectly. And hopefully that gives you a better sense for uh Sashi's design, the sort of aesthetics here. 
and also the history of Sasuke and Sashi. I hope that you take something away if you've never, maybe you've put some pieces together. I certainly did when I looked into it. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about this game. Me too. And definitely a designer that I'm interested. I've always like been interested in, in these games, but I just haven't had the opportunity to play them because a lot of them are like, you need to import them. So it's cool yeah. to have this game um, sort of being probably an introduction to a lot of people to Sasuke's design. And hopefully they'll then go on to seek out some of those other games which I certainly will. So anyway, yeah, let's let's uh, get into it. We're before we go into Brendan's rules overview, uh, which he records separately and always does an excellent job with. Hopefully, this one will be a little bit shorter than last week's Blood Rage one, which I had to like cut down to fit inside our song that we always use. Um, but if you appreciate that, if you appreciate the show we're putting on, we just wanted to make a quick appeal for reviews. I don't think we've had. We love to read out any reviews we get for the show. Um, and, and talk about them. I don't know that we've got any new ones over the past month and the reviews just go such a long way to helping us with visibility and discoverability of the show. So if you you know, have that capacity to leave us a review on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, it's a great place to do it. I think uh, a lot of your podcast aggregating apps might also have a way to do it. I know Podcast Addict does the one I use. Um, that would just mean a ton to us and really help out the, the show. So Thank you in advance if you're willing to do that. Now let's go to Brendan's pre-recorded rules overview. Get On Board is a route building game in which players lay out bus routes on a shared board, picking up passengers, dropping them off at corresponding locations for points, all while trying to avoid traffic, hit green lights, and fulfill passenger and location objectives for reaching certain locations on the game board. The game board, which varies by player count, is a city grid and every intersection of the grid depicts either a passenger, a location, or a green light. The gameplay is fairly straightforward. Each turn, one of 12 ticket cards is flipped, and these cards correspond to certain route types on a player's sheet. For example, the 7 card might flip, which could correspond to placing two pieces with one turn for me. Uh, and maybe that'd be a different piece for you, maybe three pieces in a straight line. After a card is flipped, it's removed from the deck, so as the game goes on, the clarity of coming decisions increases. Each player, in turn, places their corresponding pieces on the board, marking off on their personal player sheet any passengers they picked up at intersections they crossed over or dropped off as they passed a building that corresponds to that type of passenger. For example, businessmen need to be dropped off at skyscrapers, and tourists need to be dropped off at lighthouses. Players must always place their route pieces such that newly placed pieces connect to the last piece they placed, and their routes may never double back on themselves. If this occurs, the player is eliminated from the game, a rare but possible occurrence. You always have to place the number of segments noted on a card, and you'll take negative points for every turn that you ignore. For example, if you were supposed to place three pieces with two turns, you could place three pieces in a straight line, but you'd receive a penalty for doing so. This sort of pain management is a key aspect of the game's decision space, as players are also penalized for laying routes where routes already exist, this is driving through traffic. After 12 turns, players tally their score for each of the game's passenger types and points they gained for fulfilling the two shared randomized objectives, which come in similar flavors of pick up five school children, five businessmen, five tourists, etc., or visit three lighthouses or three arches, and their own personal objective of visiting three specific intersections across the map. They then subtract penalties for turns they've taken while ignoring card layouts and for driving in traffic, at which point the player with the most points is crowned the victor. 
Thank you, Brendan, for that. Uh, nice, short, and sweet. And, you know, I think probably if you've heard that, you basically know how to play this game. I hope so. I really hope so. <laughs> it, you know, what's interesting, Jake, is I feel like this game, teaching someone at the table, so easy and straightforward. When I learned this game from the rulebook, I found it so much more confusing than I expected it to be. But then after playing it twice, I was like, why in the world was that as rough of a learning experience for me as it was? Like, I would have been mm-hmm. better off just like starting to play on Board Game Arena, I think. Yeah, it, it, I think it does have some like weird things that are like operational. Like what or like when are we drawing cards? Like, OK, now I'm doing two turns in a row type of deal. Oh, and, and two player. Yeah, yeah, and two player games. So I think there's like some small like administrative things, but pretty straightforward. Very straightforward. And those like fully are incumbent upon the teacher of the game you know like if if you were like a new person playing this game being introduced to it as like a gateway i don't think that would bother you at all because the person who is familiar with it would be able to just like manage that uh with with very little effort yep and you could just go passenger type by passenger type talking about how the scoring works and it's all pretty clear yeah but we're already we're already on a detour let's talk about the size and depth and the type and the clarity and the feel This is a waning decision space game. There's no other way about it, right? Like you start, you have these 12 cards that are going to dictate everything you could possibly do. Uh, One of them gets flipped on a turn. You mark off what it says you're doing, and then you do do it. You just pick it. And then eventually you run out of places you can go, run out of routes you can build, and the game ends. Is it a waning decision space game though? Or is it like, is that just what it looks like on the surface? And in reality, you you have... I think it's static. Like on mm. your turn, you have one pattern of uh, routes that you get to draw. Yeah. Um, and basically from the first turn of the game, you are building off of a line of bus route that you already have established. So I feel like to me, the decisions don't really feel as though they've shrunk very much by the end of the game. It is possible you could put yourself into a waiting decision space if you like this has like the snake mobile phone game rule where you like die if you go back into yourself at any point did so there are you? i don't think so i did maybe it twice. It's, i'm so maybe my very first play or something <laughs> so i mean i think it's possible so that certainly can happen but i think like once you play the game a couple of times it like almost assuredly will not yeah like the yeah, game yeah. gives you so much flexibility to like not put yourself in that situation because like you, yeah. you can always just say like oh this is the pattern i need to do this turn well that doesn't work for me so i'll like take a few negative points to do something different i got into trouble because i took all the negative points up front and eventually you run up run out of your ability to not take turns that are dictated to you so in like it was my first three plays i ended up running into myself um but yeah no you're totally right jake i think that now upon thinking about it more I think you're right that it's a static decision space. And I think that that leans into some of my criticism of it too, which is that even once once you learn the game more, it starts to feel even more static because you can look at your personal objective of where you're trying to, your three intersections you're trying to get to, the shared objectives, and then you can kind of like build your route in your head, your ideal optimal route. And yes, you're going to have to make adjustments based on what cards come out. But more or less, you almost know exactly what you want to do typically once you've played the game enough from the first turn of the game and once you know where you're starting from. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because like the board wanes, right? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. it gets filled up with routes and then those are routes that are 
no longer available to you because like your own bus route is there or or you just don't want to do it because somebody else's bus route is there. So that feels like it looks waning. Uh, you're also like drawing from a deck of route cars that are going to tell you what type you're going to go. So like once you've used up a route type twice, like, you know, you're not going to have that anymore. But again, it's not like an option that's like, okay, now I'm running out of choices. It's, it doesn't matter how many are left. Like you're always just using the one that you draw, you know, it's not changing the number of decisions, just so it's like, how it's like, fuzzy it is. It's like elements on the board are waning, but yeah. they don't actually impact the decision space in a waning way. Yeah. And everything is so incremental that a lot of times when a different card comes out, okay, there's this planning in this game is interesting because on any given turn, you're solving a simple problem of like, this is the piece that I have to place. What's the best thing I can do this turn? And you're typically one thing I really admire about this game is I feel I can plan my decision, like where I'm trying to end up six, seven, eight turns in advance, you know, like you're planning really far ahead. Um, but in terms of your decisions, typically you can always make that plan happen. It's just sort of how much pain it's going to take to to get there by taking negative points to break some of the rules or drive in, into Jake's already placed route into some traffic. Yeah. So, yeah. The, if we say the type is static and we talk about like the size of the decision space, I think this might be the smallest or as small of any decision space that we've covered on this mm. show. Like, I just don't know. And I think that is kind of the core of my concern. Uh, it's, I guess it's less a concern of variability, I think, which is what I said in my intro, more a concern that there's not like depth of strategy. Like, mm. like I don't know that there is the ability to like level up and improve more at this game. Like how much can you improve at it? My gut feeling and estimation after playing just a handful of times is that your ability to, you know, the skill chain from the skill floor to the skill ceiling is just like one or two links. Um, and that to me creates like a feeling that like the decision space is so small in your turn, you can't really improve that much that like at a certain point, like are we just playing tic-tac-toe with like a little bit of randomness thrown in i think that there's more going on than tic-tac-toe with a little bit of randomness thrown in for sure but i think that you're right in saying that the skill chain doesn't seem this dramatically it doesn't seem like there's that many rungs on the ladder in terms of what's there but i think it's more complex than you're giving it credit for but i think that your claim of variability is spot on like for, i've played 41 games now and i'm like okay, I got to, this is the line that you take in this position. Like once I see the objectives and my starting location, I feel like I'm kind of executing a known plan almost every time. Right, which is not making a decision on your turn. Well, sometimes from turn to turn, there can be interesting trade-offs. Let's talk about it. What yeah. decision like are you making on your turn? Okay, so you're presented with a card, right? Every intersection, it's a grid. Uh, you always get a card. Typically, if you're in the center of the board, you're going to have three places you can go. If you're on an edge, you might only have two. Um, so you're making a decision of which way to go. So you're doing two things. You're planning your immediate turn. What's going to be the outcome of this turn. And you're also potentially setting yourself up for greater outcomes on future turns. Right. Um, and that could take multiple, multiple forms. You might choose to go hit a light, a green light, which gets you one extra placement, which those can add up and enhance your ability 
to accomplish multiple objectives. And they're typically really good. You need to be getting a few of those in a game to do everything you want to do. Um, but if you, it's, it's a pretty easy problem, which Jake is getting at. If you have people, uh, good, go drop them off if they're businessmen and tourists. And if you don't, don't go to locations, get some people. That's the game. Yeah. That's the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you talk about like the amount of choices, right? So you, you have a, a route, right? So say you're like, get the one that's like, I can move one space this turn. Okay. The most simple one in the game. Yeah. Like at most on your turn, just thinking about like the objective amount of decisions you have there. Yeah. You have three things, right? Yeah. You can't double back on where you just came from. I guess if it's the first turn of the game, you have four. Yeah. Um, but once you're in like the middle to like later half of the game, like I think the chances that you have two distinct choices where you can't just like eliminate the others as like that's not viable option because like that means I'm going away from the goal that really drives a lot of your decisions. And mm -hmm. I guess the goals are threefold, right? There's goals of collecting a certain amount of passengers uh, in two different types that changes game to game. And right, and you have the goal of like connecting to three different bus stops throughout the yeah. city. So you're almost always going to be able to like look at, in my experience, you're almost always gonna be able to look at those goals and just say like, okay, well, I can't go back the way I came. This going to the right is the opposite direction of the bus stop I need to go to. So if I do that, I'm probably, you know, seeding that 10 point bonus entirely. Yep. You know, and then, okay, so now I'm down to like going forward or going left. And one of those gets me something beneficial to me and one of them does not. Yeah. Or more beneficial or less beneficial. So I'm, I'm taking like the most simple, like possible route that you can build. Because obviously if you have like three possible bases to move, that changes things a bit. And you have like more like decision nodes throughout the turn. Mm -hmm. But I think where I, my concern is that like, at each of those decision nodes, you have the same amount of, you have like Option. the exact same thing, right? Each of those is a single link, right? Of bus route where I feel like, okay, I can't go back where I came. Right is still taking me the wrong way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And you kind of get to a point where like you, I think a lot of the turns in this game, actually the, the actual decisions you're making are very, very minuscule, which is kind of like, okay for, a gateway game uh and it's fun for like the first 10 plays when you're like learning uh you know the heuristics that you need to be employing um but once you do have those heuristics down i just don't know yeah i think okay there's a lot to to get at here i feel like one of the most the things that strikes struck me most about this game that we i just want to make sure we get in in the first half of the show which barely maybe we're making it barely is this board is so busy like when you look at this board when you're first playing it's like, wow, there's a lot going on at the outside of the game, right? Like, it's just replete with options, it feels like. But then, like you're saying, <laughs> excuse me, but then, like you're saying, Jake, turn to turn, you're only looking at, like, at most, the most complex a turn gets is you're going to place four pieces because you get a three that perfectly lines up with a green light and you get to place a fourth one. And even then, like the math of that, there's not that many options that on a given turn you can take into account um and to sort of nail this home and maybe start to transition things with you saying it doesn't feel like there's as many strategies as you wish there were one thing that strikes me about struck me about the game was the more i played 
the more I felt like there was a really clear hierarchy for what passengers were the most important. And that might shift a little bit from game to game, but because of the point potential being so much higher for tourists than, than some of the other types. And there's going to be times where this doesn't play out this way for sure. And that's why I think this game is slightly deeper than maybe what Jake, what you characterized it as before, but for the most part, with some randomness. Yeah. You said it, not me as, <laughs> as for the most part, it's like, it's like Baron Park. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Okay. So <laughs> I'm done. Okay. Tourists are like, you're just going to get the most points for them because you have the potential of scoring like a whopping 14 or something, right? From delivering a bus load. So the point potential is really high. And then businessmen are also really good because they get you other types of people. So they enable, they're flexible. Students are, are, are potentially very strong if you can focus on students. And then old ladies are like just the worst. You don't want to be in the old lady game. I think this game is like a little bit judgmental in the ages. Hey, you the, said the it, not me. The points are not there. You cannot play the old lady. I game. think, yeah. I, Avoid them. I think I, let's respect our elders. You know, there's probably a lot of. For sure. Old, more elderly women listening to this podcast right now. And I just want to say you are valuable. And, and I too. to have you. But well, you I'm, just said, but you said that. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's you, lucky that you, you listener, are not a fictional representation of an old lady on this board. Let's just say that because the game does not think very highly. But even <laughs> even with like when objectives come up that sort of push towards certain directions, right? Like those heuristics change slightly because mm-hmm. the way that the objectives are designed in this game, both the personal and the private, it feels like in most cases you have to accomplish them. In most mm-hmm. cases, like if. They're either what you said, Jake, they're one of the four passenger types, get five of them, or they're visit these two locations three times. And the two locations are typical are the two that play into tourists. So those always push you towards doing. I forgot about that one. Yeah. The arches or the lighthouses. Um, So you might have a game where like, oh, this game students and old ladies. And that's the name in the rule book. I'm not. I would call them elderly passengers, but the game calls them old ladies. <laughs> so we're going to call them old ladies. If, if the bus, so like if the objective is in that direction, <laughs> you, <laughs> so zany today, you, you push in that direction a little bit, but it's like so clear. The decisions are so clear. That's what you're mm-hmm. saying. That's what I'm saying. Ultimately. Yeah. Like yeah. there's not enough it's fuzziness clear. in the system. That's, and what that, uh, and I, okay. I agree. It's not tic-tac-toe, but like what is tic-tac-toe is like a small decision space that With is perfect like incredibly clear. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this has that same essence. Feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think like the reason I'm, I'm not, I, I, I gave this game a seven. I did enjoy my plays of it. And I, the reason, and I fear that what you're saying is true, right? Like the heuristics are just too strong of just accomplishing all the goals and to accomplish all the goals you have. The game is so short that you have to just do the goals, pursue it directly from start to finish, which if you're doing that, it really reduces the amount of choices you're making on your turn. Cause you're always like, I have to proceed as directly as I can to the next bus route that's on the path that I need. And I'm going to hit all of the right location slash passenger spots on the way when possible. And if you're just doing that, what are you really deciding? Right. And okay. So there is valid criticism here, right? You, you can't just do the objectives. You can't be like, I'm going to ignore the pickup and deliver game. You have to, 
do good at picking up passengers and delivering them while accomplishing the objectives. But that's like saying you have to play the game while playing the game, right? Like, yeah, you can't just, you can't rely on the objectives alone, but you have to accomplish the objectives probably to win because the overall balance of like the footprint of the objective points versus the footprint of the passenger points isn't so much that you can ignore the objectives. So then that warps the decision space around the objectives enough that every game feels so dictated by them that you don't have this sort of richer decision space where this game you sort of say, okay, I'm going to ignore these two objectives. I'm just going to do the locations and I'm going to play a really heavy student tourist game or something like that. You are beholden to what the game tells you to do. And I think that we want there to be more flexibility of this game I'm going to ignore these two because I'm in this position and the cards came out in this way. And it just doesn't feel like it's quite there enough of the time because the objectives, it's like if you were the first to accomplish the two, the public ones and do your personal, that's 30 points. And a high score in this game is 70 points or so. Yeah. You know, that's a huge amount of points. It's almost half your points. It's It's not as though if I'm pursuing that, I'm like sacrificing a lot of points elsewhere. You're probably right. getting about the same amount of points that you would otherwise yeah. um, just doing things along the way. Cause it's not necessarily like, right. Even if like I'm saying, okay, and I, I'm going to pursue the school girl strategy or whatever, right. Yeah. I'm just going to get all the students and I'm going to try and get all the schools, universities. And that yeah. would be like a lot of points. Like I'm still restrained by the same. Um, and that's something I do want to do. Like, I'm interested in trying that to see like, okay, are there other viable strategies here? And I think if there there are, then that could prove to be really interesting and give this game some more life for me. But like, even if I'm doing that, like I still have to relentlessly pursue that strategy. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So I'm still getting like the same like incidental other points as the person going for the public objective, which is probably just a more efficient way to go. Um, I think this could be, and I don't like, you know, it's really easy to say this without like doing any kind of testing, but I feel like potentially like playing without the personal objective of getting the bus stops would blow up the decision space a lot more because then you could have a, like more like it would it would make it so that you're just like eliminating less uh, options on every single turn as like not viable, like the ones that take you like directly the opposite way that you need to go. Yeah. So I, I think that would be interesting. I also think if this game were just like, two rounds longer which is something Mm. i almost never say then you would have again like more flexibility in like okay maybe it's worth the risk versus reward of going slightly outside of my route to outside of like my most efficient route to all the bus stops to try and like squeeze in a couple more businessmen or you know whatever um but as it is like you just need all 12 turns like to get all the, your routes almost every time. Like maybe yeah. you do it perfectly efficiently and you'll have like one extra turn at the end. Um, but that means you're like, I mean, in general, I'm like, okay, I, I'm getting to my last route on my 12th turn of the game. So. Yeah. Which in your first few plays is really exciting. You feel like, oh, I just made it to the objective. Yeah. But the more you play, the more you realize like, oh, the math in this game is perfect. Like yeah. I, I'm not that special. The, the design of how many routes you're placing, how far you're going, on average, how many green lights you hit just lines up about perfectly every time. So the skill in the game becomes like, how much can I detour from the route dictated to me by my location objectives? And there's just, and there's not, just not much. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. It'd be cool if there were two spots you had to hit, maybe. 
uh, mm-hmm. to give you some direction, but a little bit more freedom of how you get there or something. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think these things that make it slightly potentially like less long-term enjoyment for us, maybe are also things that make it great for newer players, right? Yeah. Like you're going to like, yeah. you're going to go through that curve really quickly where you're like, oh no, I did horrible. I hit myself. I got zero points. Okay. I did a little bit better. I got like 30 points, you know, and the person one got 70 and then like game three, you're like, okay, now I've done everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mastered this game. Uh, totally. Which is, you know, and like, that's a fun feeling to like really feel yourself improving at something rapidly. So, yeah. and again, it's like maybe on a paper is, you know, it's, it's just interesting. Like, how does that like, do, would we feel differently about this if it was a flip and write on paper versus on mm, a board? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I feel like ultimately I would come and sort of still sort of feel like I wish that the scoring incentives across yeah. all, all at least businessmen are doing their own thing because businessmen are functionally wild cards that give you a few points. Because once you have businessmen, if you get to a location, they can get you another passenger of a different type. So they're sort of doing their own thing. But comparing the other three, it's just so clear that like school children and tourists are so much more point effective than grannies that it's like, ugh, just what I'm saying is we need to buff old ladies. Yeah, we need buff old ladies. Yeah, exactly. But maybe, Jake, we could talk about the interaction because we haven't touched yeah. on that. And we played in we've sort of played up that that's a really important aspect of this game. But it's, it, it, is it? It's it. It's important for like determining who wins <laughs> because right. Like if we're, so if we are both relentlessly pursuing this like Euro efficiency route where we're going to complete both public objectives and our personal objective, then the winner is going to be the person that essentially gets less negative points. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that is going to be pretty dependent upon like your the other person or people you're playing with routes and how they choose to place them. Um, and I think for me, like this interaction while important feels just like incredibly incidental, you know, like you, cause you don't know what my objectives pl- places I'm trying to get are like, that's yep. like a hidden goal. And what we have cer- certain games where it's just like everything you do is just like perfectly blocking the path that I need to take to get to my, you know, destination cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and if or I'm using like ticket to ride terminology, my bus stops that I need to get to. And, and when that's happening again, it's frustrating. Cause it's just like, okay, well I lose because I either follow your coattails, right. And get the negative points by laying along the track that somebody else is already on. Or I like try to do something different, which we've already sort of determined is likely not super viable. And it's certainly not if you've already started out going down the objectives and personal objective route. Yeah. Yeah. You almost, I, what interpreting what you're saying, I feel like what you're saying is basically like you're, you're not making more interesting decisions. You're just making more punishing. You're forcing people to take negative points to do what they know they have to do anyway. You're reducing the rewards, but you don't have any agency over doing it on purpose. So I might, when I first started playing this game, I was like, oh, I'm going to play this a little bit like area control. Like if I see Jake over in that corner, I'm going to kind of like go in Jake's direction and kind of block him in. But you could just like cross over my line. You don't have to go directly with my line. So then you're not going to get punished at all. I'm giving up a lot of potential opportunity to do that. The, The game just doesn't equip you with the tools. Like you're saying, if there were a couple more turns, 
maybe I could sort of see, oh, Jake's going for for students. So if I can block off this school and that school, I can take a little bit of points away on the way to doing this. And you get some of that like synergistic efficiency, but you just don't have the time. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like sometimes like, okay, here's an opportunity to potentially get in Brendan's way. So I'm going to take it so long as it's not any opportunity cost to me. Yeah. But then like, you know, that's just something you just fold in with all the other kind of like inevitable decision making processes that you're already thinking about. Yeah. I think the interaction in this game is the reason that I really prefer my two player plays of this Mm. to my plays with more people than that. I did notice on Board Game Geek, it says recommended at two or best at two, which I'm not surprised by because and I think the reason for that is because player interaction feels so incidental yeah and 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 when it you feel it it's punishing right right um it just feels like i feel like in the more player game higher player count games with more routes on the map like you're just going to run into more of that incidental player interaction uh and that feels bad you know with more downtime and not much ability to change anything about the game state yeah yeah i will say jake one of the things that got added in get on board is on the new york side the two-player side that we played the most um, the fact that there's traffic already on the board in that version in the center, I think is new to get on board or maybe they ch- added some to it, but I really, that to me is like, is great. That's so it makes the decision around like, am I going to try to go up to the sides and be a little bit more limited or just run for the center where there's lots of tourists and, uh, destinations to drop businessmen and tourists off. I, I like that. I think it adds a lot to the game, but do you know what would add even more to the game? If all of the tourist locations weren't set if it was randomly yeah. seated. Like, I was gonna oh my say, gosh. I was going to say that too. And I think that is also the trade off with the uh, um, printed printed board versus yep. paper, right? Like yep. you could have the exact, like I, I would even look this up because I was like, what if on this board, and I wouldn't want this either because this would be just like incredibly annoying. But I thought there was a chance because we had been playing online that like on the physical copy, you'd like, put out the people mm, randomly yep. before each game, which would be a huge pain in the ass. So I don't think anybody would really want that. But like that could have been an option to create more intrigue. But yeah, the fact that like those people are set every single game, it I don't I mean again, like I, I think it kind of is the same thing with like the math being too perfect, right? It's like everybody's mm. so perfectly spaced out. Like if you had a random layout of a map where it's like, oh, okay, like there's a lot of students in universities up here in the north corner of the map. Like, so maybe everybody's like going for that. And then all of a sudden that means like, okay, people are like leaving the other side of the board open. Um, that would create more interest and, and variability, of course, from game to game. Uh, whereas it is, I think, everything is so balanced and spaced out equally that that's just like another thing that's like adds to the kind of overwhelming sense that you should just be relentlessly pursuing objectives. Yep. Yeah. There's definitely ways that it could have been done, but it's clear that one of the design goals was to have it be like a very fair game. And I think that the way that the tourists and and the locations and everything is lined out, I think there's a lot of interesting math going on in the background that you don't see, that we're not seeing as a player. But as a player, I'm not sure that it's worth it. Like a less balanced, randomized play space might in the long run provide more fun experiences, but in those first five plays might not be as exciting. So the trade-off here, the design, I think probably leaned towards first player experience. And it is, it's a fun game. There's a reason why I was like, 
going off in our discord being like someone play this game with me live i'm having yeah. a blast you know like i've i really enjoyed my first 10 15 plays and i i pl- liked it enough that i played it 41 times but yeah. it's not a game that i can say i want to play 41 more times totally yeah and i wonder like i think i mean have they said if there are more maps coming out for this that just they, feels inevitable it feels inevitable and i really hope that they do release more me too add a because lot I, to the game i was thinking that it would add a lot even if there were more just like very similar maps but a lot of what we're talking about could be addressed in you know yeah. it's just like ticket to ride right like the base game is this like yeah, it's a masterpiece, right? So I don't know that this is as good as that for a, sure. a first play, but like in Ticket to Ride, right? As the expansions come out, the designer designer is more comfortable adding in like more wrinkles, more complexity, and I think that this game would be well served by some of that. You know, yeah. all of what yeah. we've talked about is like criticism would be addressed with more maps. You know, and whether somebody at home thinking about like buying this game would take much solace out of that <laughs> i don't know yeah you know because yeah. it because it is what it is on its own but like i would certainly be excited to you know play more different maps of this game yeah i think also one of the things that i that struck me about this game the more i played it as a flip and right game jake was that a lot of flip and right games you know you have this input random event and i think that that's a lot of what makes these games feel similar is you have Something, some random element gets randomized and then it restricts your agency. Here, you have a random card gets flipped and it tells you how many pieces you're going to place and how many turns you're going to have in that. Uh, There's no choice really. Uh, Beyond sometimes some of the bigger cards, the shape ends up different because the number of turns, but they're just showing you like, look, you could do two turns with three pieces like this or two turns with three pieces like this. It, it doesn't feel like I'm choosing this versus choosing that as much. Sometimes maybe you'll have a, a two pieces in a straight line or two pieces with one turn. Those I think are some of the most interesting turns in the game. But in yeah. a game like yeah, <laughs> like those kind of says a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, and I like, want more of that. Like in cartographers, and like the fact like when you hit a green light, you get to put another route anywhere. Feels great. Uh, yeah. off it. it feels like amazing, which I think speaks volumes about like how limiting the decision space so, is yeah and well and what i was gonna say is you know in cartographers you're always given an option of shape pieces in welcome to you have options of powers and numbers that you're bringing the, together the amount of choice the or sorry the amount of like decision breadth in welcome to compared to this is like Shocking. so vast yeah 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 right right and i want more of that like i want more of those turns where i at least get to make some small choice between like this this decision or this decision it's really simple it's still fast it's still reduced agency but i have some something i'm doing beyond like okay place place this shape in one of these three directions i I don't know the more i played the more i wanted that yeah i think the challenge with flip and write games in particular um is that like if on one hand you're like okay well it's like a totally fair game because we all got the exact same random inputs yeah but but in reality like once you start pursuing any given path like the the value of those random inputs are like necessarily different between different people you know it's like because i went this way when i get the you know the three in a row space like ticket next like that's really it's either gonna be good for me or bad for me and in this game it could be because my seven ticket means something different than your seven ticket 
you could end up getting lots of early movement, which is really beneficial for you because you're creating the more potential for traffic on the board yeah. than me. And yeah. for me, it could mean, oh, I just placed one twice. And all of a sudden, like I'm at a tempo disadvantage through no fault of my own. Totally that's fine because we get to do different things, but it's doesn't feel great. Yeah, that happened to me in one of our games, right? Where I was like started heading towards my like, you know, bus stop that I needed. And I was just like, it's like on my second turn of the game and you've got like six routes out yeah. on the board already. And just like, well, that stinks for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, like so I I feel like, you know, it's kind of like a blessing and a curse in, in that sense. Like a roll and write game has more randomness baked in, like because you could yeah. get a I, you know, I could roll a one on a D six, six times in a row, right? Yep. Where I can't draw the number one ticket six, six times, times in, in a row. row. I can only draw it twice in this game and then it's out yeah. of my deck and I won't draw it any more times. And so like, I think that these flip and write games have more of like an inherent challenge of sort of like addressing that. And I don't know that. Uh, and when I say addressing, I'm like talking about accounting for that in the design, accounting for the sense that like players will feel like somebody is getting mm. more lucky, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. It, I think it happens. It's in, it's weird because it happens in roll and write. It happens in flip and write. But I think there's like something about like flip and write where I I get more of a sense that like the winner was like preordained by the cards mm. than I do mm. in a roll and write game, even when it's like you know very likely in a roll and write game that somebody's gonna get more lucky and somebody's gonna get more unlucky like at least i know like for sure like okay well the odds of the dice roll are the odds yeah where this it's like okay i'm flipping over ev- exactly the same cards as somebody else and there's something about that that makes it feel like okay based on the way this deck was loaded like somebody was like destined to win which is not a super satisfying feeling to walk away from a game of I think as a closing thought, the trade-off too there, Jake, is like the cool thing about the system is the more you play, the more you know what pieces will come up. And I thought when I was reading that, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I'm going to be able to plan out the final four turns of my game or something around that. And those decisions don't quite come together. And when they do, they don't really feel as rewarding as I wish they did. So that mechanism has the potential to be so cool, but it kind of didn't work here as much as I wish it did. Yeah. Well, I think maybe we should close it there. I feel like we've been overwhelmingly negative and we But we like this, sometimes. this game. Yeah, exactly. People are like, yeah. how did you give it a seven? Like all you did was say like bad things about it. It's like, I genuinely had fun playing it. I think it's, you know, my rating is like how much I had fun playing yeah. a game. And then when we think about it, like, you know, put on our like more analytical game reviewer hats, it's, it's that is like a very different place. Like I still enjoy this game. I still want to play it more. And I like highly recommend you play it with your parents. Well said. Yeah. And I want to play more Sashi games. Maybe we can cover coffee roasters on the show sometime or something. Yeah, I would love to. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I need to dig into some of those for sure. Well, anyway, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Decision Space. I'm not sure what we have up next, but I know in the near future, we'll be covering Rajas and the Ganges and barrage so you can look out for those in the near future but probably some discussion topic episodes coming soon um as always you can find our links all in the description of this podcast we have a patreon please support us there we have a discord please come hang out with us there we're also on twitter and brendan is on has our uh decision space podcast blog on bgg you know so wherever you you are we're probably there too and as always we just want to thank hembry for our intro and outro song reach out have a great week bye all